Alright, so Amber, I have a very dumb log line for Last of Us 1 that I came up with, and I have an actual good log line for Last of Us 2 that I stole from the editor-in-chief of IGN. Which would you like? Um, I'm not sure exactly if you're using the word log line correctly here, but I would love to hear your first one. Yeah, I'm probably using it wrong, but... <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I'm sorry, everyone. This is gonna be dumb. But... Goofy, from an extremely goofy movie, is the dad oh we wish we all had. Joel is the father we actually have. I really, did you ever wonder about, like, like the people who aren't, like, regular viewers, who don't know us, who just, like, uh, see, our, see our body of work and they decide to click on The Last of Us because they want more Last of Us content in their life. And the first thing that they hear when you open up the episode is a reference to a Goofy movie. You know what I mean? I will defend my case because, because what is the ending of, a la of The Last of Us, if not almost a Jungian archetype, a tried-and-true just uh, story that we in the West can't get enough of, which is father has to let child go, and they don't want to. That's the entire plot of a Goofy movie, and that's the last thing Joel does. <laughs> and Goofy rises to the occasion come Act 3. He lets Act go, whereas Joel condemns the most important relationship in his life, sets it ablaze through an act of, uh, of selfishness and cowardice. Because one of them is a Disney happy movie, and the other one's a <laughs> post-apocalyptic drama. Hi everybody, welcome to the show. My name is Amber Autumn, she, her. I'm Prince Devin, he, him. Devin, what is this show? This the, show the show that we're listening to. Is original podcast Do Not Steal, a little weekly show wherein Amber and I talk about your favorite properties at length and then create an original character within that space. And today, we're going to be covering The Last of Us. This is an Amber episode, but I think it's going to be one of the more rare episodes where we both have things to say in equal measure. So, you want to go first, I go first. I'll let you have the floor. <laughs> Um, so, uh, The Last of Us is, um, at this point, a, a, a multimedia franchise, I guess, now, with, with the HBO show. The The original game came out in 2013. I imagine that we're going to be going pretty heavy spoilers on this one, because it's sort of difficult to talk about the franchise without giving some spoilers away, um, in particular the second game, so um, uh, be warned about that going in. Um, if you haven't played The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two, what are you doing? Go play The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2. They're great. They're wonderful. Go play them, please, and then come back and listen to the episode. Uh, so the original game came out in, like, 2013, right? And it's this post-apocalyptic road trip movie in the vein of, like, the, the big two references that people pull out, right, are Cormac McCarthy books and HBO limited series is the comparison that was made at the time, um, which obviously came to fruition a decade later. Um, when it got adapted into a one-season-long HBO miniseries, um, which is, like, a, a very bizarre transition to make because The Last of Us was such a huge and groundbreaking thing to happen in the world of, of video games when it came out. It, like, the reverberations of the game, like, ongoing to this day, um, it, it, was, it was a huge shift in the way that games, I think, um, uh, were, were valued and understood as artworks. Like, everybody couldn't get enough in 2013, but, like, you know, nobody outside of video games was talking about The Last of Us. And then, like, come 2023, and now, uh, like, you know, your boss at work knows about The Last of Us now, you know? Like, it's the same conversation happening again um, about the same story with the same themes, but 10 years later, and now it's a, it's popular. 
like a like amongst everybody, you know. I I think that's funny that you're a little shocked it became an HBO show because for my purview, the thing that Last of Us One in particular is the most inspired by, like the thing it aspires to more than anything, is being <laughs> an HBO show. Oh yeah, for sure. So it just makes sense. It's funny that it happened. You know, like they they already basically made HBO show. I'm okay. We're getting the HBO show talk out of the way early. We're gonna talk more about the video games in this episode than about the show. But I am gonna say my piece about the show here because um, I think I was really hesitant. I was really reticent when they announced they were gonna do an adaptation of it because the game is already so much an HBO miniseries that to me, when I heard that they were doing an adaptation my first instinct was like why you know like the game already exists what would adapting it for television even mean it already is an hbo miniseries is it just all of the same <laughs> cutscenes, but without any of the combat bits um and the answer is yes it's all of the same cutscenes without any of the combat bits i mean this show is good don't get me wrong of course it's good everyone says it's good and everyone's right that it's good it just is definitely the kind of experience that's going to play a lot better for people who haven't played the game already who don't already have the entire game memorized like me like i was watching it and all of the new stuff is wonderful um but it, it was very much watching all of the reiterated bits like oh i yeah i I, I memorized this scene a decade ago. Here's my question. Are we doing, like, specifically a Last of Us 1, a Last of Us 2 character, or, like, just generically Last of Us? Because if we are focusing in on 1 verse 2, that does change what the preamble looks like, <laughs> at least what I have prepared to talk about, as opposed to just doing... Because if it's, like, the Last of Us all together, then the preamble is going to have to incorporate both of the things I thought to talk about, and it's going to be a longer episode. How long? How long could doing both of them possibly make it? She said out loud, like a like a genius. I don't know. It'll be like a standard. It'll be like the episode we did on the wire. That was just me talking for like an hour and forty minutes. You're not gonna talk for an hour and forty minutes about the last of it. Well, we could talk for an hour and forty minutes about the last of. I could talk for an hour and forty minutes about the last of us. I have a lot of feelings about the last of us. Yeah. Um, I Here's my thinking. I am more invested in the second one than the first one. I think that the second one is both a superior product by a really wide margin and also a much, much more interesting product. Um, and I know it better. I think about it more. I would assume that we're making a character who is a Last of Us broadly character um, with the understanding that I'm probably going to be putting my thematic and narrative focus on the second game. Okay, cool. Then we'll spend most of the preamble talking about Last of Us 2, and that is fine by me, because... Okay, because here's the thing about The Last of Us 2 that The Last of Us 1 does not do, and that is justify, like, being a video game, I think, both in terms of, like, very simply, it is more fun to play Last of Us 2, but also the ways in which it incorporates interactivity, like, full spoilers, which I know we said, but now I've got to, like, redo it. Remember the scene where Ellie... Like, just beats a woman to death with a crowbar? Nora, yeah. That is so much important because you have to hit square every time. Because every hit, every step forward Ellie takes on this fucking meaningless quest of revenge is she's a, making dis a choice, yeah. It's, yeah, she's making a choice. And at any point she could turn back, she fucking doesn't. But, like, more than stuff like that, I think the act of. Like, I. Uh, nah, like, <laughs> 
<laughs> I just realized I got my thoughts crossed. But yeah, like, the act of playing becomes so important. And, like, justifying being a video game where, like, playing as Abby is such a strong, like, artistic choice. It's such a message in a way that only, only video games can make you experience ego death in this specific way. A movie can make you follow Abby. That's passive media. This is active media. We are actively going to make you empathize with this person by being them for long stretches of the game. It's such a risk on a AAA game, and it so justifies the medium in a way Last of Us 1 never does, which is... <laughs> We're predominantly interested in being an HBO show. And listen to the episode we did on The Wire. I love an HBO show, but I want my video games to be video games. There's such a wide gulf in between what the like the first game is doing and what the second game is doing. The first game is like it's it's good. I like it. I think that there's an argument to be made that that I have seen made that the first game, its legacy is of ambiguity, ambiguity to the point of failure, uh, where it leaves it so open in the air at the end that it sort of effectively says nothing, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I am sympathetic to. Um, and then, like, eight years or however long pass, and the second game comes out. God, I don't have anything smarter to say than it's so good. It's so much better than the first one. Like... Like, every choice that it makes is more narratively interesting. Every choice that it makes is braver. Um, I think, like, it's such a controversial game in, in gamer spaces. A lot of people didn't like Last of Us Part Two because it's not a game for everyone. I will admit that. Um, it is, according to popular imagining, a very dour game. And I think that every other person on Earth would agree that it's an extremely dour experience where depressing things happen constantly. I don't necessarily experience that out of the game. I think that The Last of Us part two especially presents this world where like dark things happen and like the characters that we spend our time with often do those dark things right a lot of hullabaloo is made out of the mechanics where like when you kill someone everyone around them will like shout their name out and cry out in anguish at the, the, like the death of a loved one and you have to like kill dogs and the dogs have names and immediately killing dogs is maybe not as effective on me because i i have like a phobia thing um and it scares me, and so I don't feel quite the same. Oh, that's um, funny, because uh, killing dogs reaction. also doesn't affect me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's because I never had a dog growing up, but, like, as a kid, it never meant anything. And then I got older, and I was like, this is just a trick of filmmakers to make me feel an emotion. But, like, <laughs> nah, man, when people punch dog in movie, I'm like, damn, that guy's kind of badass, though. Like, you see the way he <laughs> punched that dog? That takes balls. <laughs> I'm like, man, that dog is scary. <laughs> you should punch that dog and try to kill you, man. <laughs> Get the monster! Get the monsters trying to kill you! <laughs> Every other review of Last of Us will be like, oh, I feel like such shit when I have to kill these dogs and it makes this sad whimper. It was like, nah, man, what if you punch that dog? What if you punch that dog super hard? I don't feel bad when I kill one of the dogs. What I will say I feel bad about is the dogs, like, often walk around with, like, a handler, and if you kill one of the handlers... The dog, like, has a moment when it, like, doesn't understand what's happening. And it, like, goes up and tries to, like, sniff its handler's, like, dead body. Because it doesn't understand that they're dead yet. Um, and I feel bad when that happens. That's a pretty grim moment. But then I kill the dog, so it's fine. <laughs> but then I kill the dog, and it feels like I'm playing Doom Eternal. <laughs> it's such a slick combat system, too. Like, like the, the difference 
that happens between the first game and the second game like sure there's crouching or like like fully laying down in tall grass now and there's um diving between enclosed spaces now and and all of these little things in a different weapon loadout but truly the difference that it makes in the combat by just adding a dodge button this is like the biggest difference for me mechanically between the first and second game is that the second game you can dodge now and it's it's enormous it completely changes the experience while also like being completely consistent for me it was adding a jump button that did so much <laughs> just the oh god just god i like sometimes forget what the first game doesn't have i was like the first game doesn't have jumps what the fuck because i nope. just like like the second game so much better <laughs> it doesn't have jumps it doesn't have ropes and the combat is rudimentary at eh, that's a little mean the combat is serviceable it does its job and they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel with its combat so i i the last of us for anyone who somehow is here and is not fully aware um, the first game, uh, just so that we've gotten out what the what the literal functional plot is, um, the first game is a road trip story where you play as this dude named Joel who's like this gruff dad type, like 30 You've years seen after Lord the Wolf apocalypse. And You've seen Mandalorian season one. You've it's seen... a it's a gruff dad story. <laughs> You've seen God of War reboot. You are familiar with the basic plot. You have seen story wherein the only way a grizzled murder man can be redeemed is through innocence of child. But setting-wise, um, we are 30 years out from the, the, like, it's the zombie apocalypse, basically. It's a fungal zombie apocalypse. Um, the cordyceps fungus uh, has mutated in a way that it is now able to take over people's brains and um, turn them into, like, shambling uh, fungus monsters who just want to kill other people and spread the fungus to them it's really fucking horrifying i love it it this this game like i know it didn't invent fungus horror but it kind of a little bit invented fungus horror for me uh, i love the particular brand of horror the game's like tone fluctuates so wildly there's like these long sections when it ends up like being a survival horror game and it's like i wouldn't even call the game a survival horror game by and large like i would say that most of it is like this road trip drama uh, like western sort of a thing um and it's just like the occasional scene when you're down in the depths of the basement or whatever, it'll go into like a whole survival horror, like genuinely scary mode for like a, a, a sizable number of scenes in the, in, in between the two movies. And you like, Joel is this shitty guy who has done a lot of shitty things. And he gets this opportunity to transport the one immune girl across the country to try to look for a cure. And they have a bunch of misadventures getting over there. And, you know, he hates her at first, but then grows to love her. And um, then in the end, um, the big uh, the big finale ending is that uh, in order to extract the cure from her, they would have to kill her. And instead of allowing them to do that, Joel just kills everyone in the building and walks off with Ellie in tow and tells her that, um, that there was no cure and that uh, they just got out of there um, because there were lots of other people who were immune and it doesn't work. Um, lying and to her and therefore destroying loves the emotion. Joel. It's genuinely a lot of people did love Joel. It's like a very complicated. Yeah, no, feeling, I, like, I uh, when 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 I was playing out how this podcast would go, I imagined you would be like, and 
I, I think, and I thought you would say, like, and universally everyone approaches the game with the understanding you're not supposed to like Joel, and I would be the one being like, no, 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 People love Joel, both complicatedly Joel. and uncomplicatedly. He is, <laughs> he's a bastion of gaming characters. People love Joel. The game is pretty unambiguous, I think, the first one, that in the end you're not supposed to like Joel. I think that you're supposed to feel something for him for a lot of the gameplay but i think it comes down in the end against him very firmly and i think the second game complicates that feeling a lot um but i think that at the end of the first game you're not supposed to like joel it's just that a lot of gamers did because he's a gruff man and you played as him for a while and he's edgy and badass and shoots guns at zombies that's funny, because the most, like, complicated, outright love I've seen from Joel comes from the editor-in-chief of IGN. I forget her name. Actually, I have it written down. One second. Yeah, Tani uh, Amimi. <laughs> and, like, when she brings up why she likes Joel as much, it's because, like, her read of the ending is, like, this is the first time Joel has actively been a father, and it's when she falls in love with Joel is, like, the end of Last of Us 1. And I'm like, that is a... That is a take. <laughs> I don't see a lot of bold takes from IGN, but that's a bold that's a, one. That's right a bold there. take. Yeah, I mean, like Joel dooms the world. Like uh, it's often been said about Joel about the game that the the Last of Us Part One is a story about a man um, who doesn't care about anyone but himself, learning to care about one person other than himself, and his actions doom the world. And um, everybody has to like deal with that, and the whole second game is a fallout of that, both from like a literal perspective of like what the people around him respond to that with, and from an emotional perspective of how Ellie responds to that. And I have a pretty depthful read on Ellie that we'll get into later. But I, like, so much of the first game is about building up your like emotional attachment to this little girl who you're carrying around with you, who you're protecting, and for like one little sequence of the game, who you play as, um, and building that bond. And it's like so fucking effective. Um, I love Ellie at the end of that first game. You get to the end and you just want absolutely the best for her. She's not like a precocious child. She's like lived in this shitty world. She was born in the apocalypse. She grew up in it. She like laughs about like dark subject matter and um, she she's sarcastic and she's kind of mean sometimes because like life has shit on her and it like doesn't make her feel less likable it just makes her feel real like a real 14 ish year old child would be in this world but she has like these moments of light um and that makes it so heartbreaking when the second game turns around um and she becomes the main character um and not necessarily for the better um in, and, in terms of our understanding of, of her game and she becomes the abby from the and she's the, she's the villain <laughs> you're gonna kill these bad people god what do i want to say about there's so many thoughts going down but just like the ending specifically like for me uh like when you say it's a story about a man who learns to care about one other person i think that's so fascinating because my read is like it is the like joel in protecting ellie in this way like fails to recognize the story they've gone on together where like when when you meet your brother right joel is pretending that ellie is dependent on him and at like their worst they're codependent and they're really not even and the game 
so much of it is recognizing the ways in which Ellie is not your child. Ellie is like a person with agency and goals and can care for themselves when the time is done and care for you specifically, Joel. And to take away the one action in her life that was going to like erase her survivor's guilt and give it meaning is so selfish. <laughs> it kind of proves he doesn't care about other people. <laughs> you piece of shit, Joel. Uh, but no, go back to like the... Ellie is the best daughter in gaming, not named Clementine, but yeah, like, is sardonic and has dark humor, but is not a dour person, is in fact like a light person, someone who can uh, close their eyes and see within their mind's eye, like, the marvel of human ingenuity that leads to launching off to space, and also envision the joy of a fighting game despite being birthed in the apocalypse. That has just shaped, like, the humor that she has, but there is a light to her that shines through in that first game. So there's, there's like two big major, like spoilable twists in the second game that like got leaked before the game came out. That became like little whirlpools of discourse um, amongst the gamers TM when it was revealed before anybody had played the game. The two big plot points that gets revealed are that one er, very early in the game, um, Joel dies. Joel gets killed um, very, very shortly into the gameplay which is like, you know, a bold decision to make and also a respectable one. Uh, then the other big twist is that for like the back half of the game, the secret back half that they swear to you isn't coming, but then it totally does. Um, you play as Joel's killer, which is also a bold take and you totally understand why you did that by the end. Um, and a lot of people were very upset about it for a reason, for reasons that I think are obviously very dumb but also very interesting because a lot of the complaints were like oh um we deserve a better game than the one we were given um this game uh kills a beloved character and then makes you play as his killer um what fucking kind of writing is that which uh, like like setting aside all of the questions of like oh thematically you're supposed to care you're supposed to like feel shock and then gradually come to understand who Abby was and why she did the things that she did and come to care about her and her perspective and the like like the 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 reflexive introspection that that's supposed to prompt in the player like setting all of that thematic stuff aside um the like the like underlying preconception that all of those complaints are working under is that the point of art is to give you the thing that you want Right, which is, like, such a thing that you would get out of gamers, but you would not get out of an audience of HBO miniseries viewers. So that... Oh, man, there were several several things I want to say, and I didn't want to cut you off at any point because you were on a roll. But I one thing I just, like, out of the recording space, a little behind the scenes, is I forget that Discord will cut your audio if you're too loud. So when you were like, the gamers got upset, and I yelled, oh, a fucking trans person's <laughs> in the game, kill it, and you just didn't... <laughs> Yeah, so, um, uh, Abby, the most trans woman of all time, um, uh, there was also, like, a piece of information that got leaked in the, in the, in the early part before the game had released that there was a trans character in the game, and all of the gamers assumed that that was Abby, the woman who kills Joel, because she's fucking built like an ox, um, and it's not her, it's a different character, everyone just assumed it's her, because they're very dumb, and don't have media literacy. I love it when a bunch of sweaty fucking nerds who don't know that it's called a tricep because it has three heads are going to talk to me about fucking musculature. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Oh, that shit gets me mad. 
<laughs> but back to the, the thinking that art is about like giving you what you want. And I'm not going to get into my like whole thing about uh, the ways in which people talk about clone high upset me. But like, I think the thing that last of us is really good about is like giving you what you want, but in the worst way, which is like the thing art is supposed to do because like, and you know, all reviews should be written in the first person. Fundamentally, are written in the first person. We just like to uh, say you, so I'm not exposing myself to weakness, and my soft underbelly can be seen. But like, when I play The Last of Us one the first time, the whole time I'm like, oh man, I sure hope Joel and Ellie don't die at the end of this. And then at the end of the game, it's like, hey, they sh- both, they sure both didn't die, but I feel like fucking garbage now. They definitely both should have died. <laughs> <laughs> or at least Ellie should have. I get so much of the game is about like like so much of the game is about Ellie's survivorship trauma, like like a survivor's guilt. I think um the most the single most insane change to me that the miniseries made at the very 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 last scene of the game, um you're like walking back to Jackson. Ellie and Joel have a conversation where Ellie go, goes, "Hey, did you tell me the truth?" Is that really what happened back in that hospital? Um, and Joel says, yes. He doubles down. Um, and Ellie, like, gives a little speech about um, the first time that she found out she was immune. She was, like, with her best friend, and her best friend got bitten. Um, and she got – they both got bitten. And her best friend was like, let's wait it out. We can be all poetic and lose our minds together. And obviously, she lost her mind. And Ellie says, I'm still waiting for my turn. They don't have her say, I'm still waiting for my turn in the HBO miniseries, which is insane to me because I think it's the single most important line for Ellie's like entire psychology over the course of both games is that Ellie is the one who lived and she feels like shit about it. And she like hates herself over it. And in that final moment, she like sort of wants to have been able to sacrifice herself to save everyone she had this this moment when her death could have been like the thing that changed the entire world and she wants to have been allowed to make that sacrifice but she wasn't allowed to make that sacrifice and that fucking tears apart her whole relationship with joel in the next game and that leads to her having all of this like unprocessed resentment over it um, and then when she, when Joel dies, before she gets a chance to resolve any of that, all of that resentment gets reprocessed into anger um, and into this, like, huge vengeance quest. And the whole thing, her whole quest against Abby, you can trace all of it back to surviving the bite with her and Riley. I really, I really do believe that. I think a very well-constructed portrait of character psychology. I really, it's, like, they're both ultimately very simple stories, um, but increasingly as i have played and watched each of these stories multiple times i notice how much every single scene is doing something for the story and how carefully crafted it is to fill in who these people are that we're with and so that you like understand them it's good character work yeah like i'm not i'm not a novelty piggy like if something is just like new i'm like okay but is it good though and these are very basic HBO post-apocalyptic survival stories, but the devil truly is in the details. And, like, the first scene in the first game when a cop is a dick to you and it gets your daughter killed, that gets brought back up in the ending, wherein a member of the Firefly is a dick to Joel, and that flashes him back to the opening of the game, and he goes, what if I wrote that wrong? And I murdered everyone in this fucking hospital. 
<laughs> there's a world where Joel does walk off if that firefly's not a dick. And maybe he didn't if that firefly's still not a dick. But if he isn't a dick, there's a slight chance. And the one where the firefly is a dick, there is no chance. And Joel does what he does at the end of the game. I have, um, like, one more major observation I want to make before we can start talking about character stuff. Which is, I thinking about The Last of Us Part 2 and Judaism and queerness and otherness. So The Walking Dead is kind of like a specter that hangs over this whole thing. Both, like, we invoked Clementine earlier, right? And, like, the datification of video games, the, 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 the Walking Dead video game. But in terms of, like, the Walking Dead show and the comic that it's based on and, like, like as the overwhelming predominant zombie media in the 21st century, right? Like... Like, obviously, all of it goes back to Romero and, to, you know, to before that, to folklore. Um, but in terms of, like, the, the, the cultural presence in uh, the, the 21st century, uh, it is The Walking Dead, right? As, like, the zombie re media touchstone that everybody references. And I, I think that apocalypse stories um, in general, with The Walking Dead as a wonderful example of that... Um, like, a lot of the appeal is that they present a, a vision of the world and what gets left in it after everything crumbles, right? Like, society falls apart. What remains? And so much, I think, of apocalypse media is this very, like, masculine vision of what gets to stay behind. You know, hard men get Mad to stay Max. behind. Um uh mad max sort of yeah like like people who are survivors get to get to survive you know and they survive by doing the hard thing um and that's what we get to keep around after all of the all of the artifice has has crumbled around us and the walking dead is not that kind of story there's this really long section towards the beginning of the second game when ellie and this girl who you have like sort of a a thing with Dina, you like go inside of a synagogue and Ellie's never seen a synagogue before, but Dina is Jewish and she has this like relationship to her roots and to her religion, both in, in terms of its relevance to like survivorship and the, the things that they're going through right now, but also um, outside of that for like the rituals of it and the, the, the texts, you know, um, uh, she walks through and she she talks through it and she thinks about it and and it like was a moment that really really struck me especially the second time I played it how much it was a moment that um I like I don't think you could have had in the walking dead in that world Judaism doesn't survive you know an appreciation of one's religion an appreciation not just of like not just in a gimmick way, but in like a way that like evokes the way that people care about their religions today, both spiritual and deep and meaningful, and also kind of light and surfacey and and playful, and and it's a world where like queerness doesn't not survive, you know. It's a world where where like there is brutality and there is darkness, and there are also children playing snowball fights. I think that that vision of what matters in the world still is, to me, one of the more interesting and compelling parts of the franchise to me. It's an apocalypse, but, like, 
people didn't all like become evil monsters immediately a lot of people did like there was fascism there is fascism in the world in the same way there is fascism in our world today but like you look at people you look at the characters that you meet and a couple of them are horrible and most of them that you actually encounter aren't uh they're they're good yeah owen is so fucking complicated because owen I think Owen is so interesting as a character because he is, like, the only person in the WLF who we meet who, like, fucking believes in anything, who seems to, like, have principles and want to, like, fix the world and want to make things better. And also, he's, like, cheating on his wife. And he kind of, like, is letting the people around him down in, like, a material way. And I don't know. That's... It's interesting that he's both of them. It, it's all still there. It's all still there. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that and just talk about, like, zombies and post-apocalypse. But zombies, fundamentally, are a sad thing because where zombies come from is from Haiti, where they looked at slaves and they looked at how slaves didn't have any life in their eyes and said, oh, those are walking dead people. That's fucked up. That's where zombies come from, everyone. And when that gets digested into larger Western culture, zombies are, like, about a thing, like mall culture or whatever. And for Last of Us, zombies are... Abby and Ellie, who are just rage-filled monsters walking forward with a vague sense of the horizon of something they want to go kill. They're like the clickers at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in terms of, like, Last of Us for a post-apocalypse, the thing it does that Mad Max can't is remembers that there is a beauty in the absurdity. And, like, we're still here, and we have a civilization that works and we're, we're going to lose, right? Like, nature fought back and clapped back super hard, but that means that, like, foliage gets to come back, and the scene with the giraffes gets to happen, and there is room for peace and patience and beauty to sprout through. It, it sprouts through the cracks of these, like, iron jungles we've made to be reclaimed by nature, and there's just more room for beauty in The Last of Us in a way you don't get for a lot of apocalypse media i actually really love that observation that makes me think about it in a whole new way because yeah they are like gorgeous games and so much of the gorgeousness of the games visually comes from overgrowth spurting into places that used to be ours that used to be people's and 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 now they are all lush and green and gorgeous and you know the world has ended and still and in fact sometimes because of that there is there is beauty in the world Who's the Abby's trans sidekick boy? I can't Lev. remember his name. Lev. I want to talk about Abby, who is uh, uh, hot and my mommy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but one of my favorite bits of characterizations between Abby and Lev is that Lev just doesn't take to sarcasm. And so because of that, Abby just has to be genuine. And I just love that character note between these two. It's adorable. And I love it. Lev is interesting because he has a couple of... He, he parallels both Ellie and Dina at the same time. The Abby-Lev dynamic is very much meant to evoke the Joel-Ellie dynamic for the first game, right? Um, where you're playing as the like older protector figure. And you have this kid hopping around with you who you have to like protect and... Um, learn about over the course of the game and so like that's one trick to be like oh you hated joel's killer right well let's make her have the same narrative and mechanical role as joel does how does that feel um but he also parallels dina 
in the second game just by virtue of being Abby's moral compass. He's the guy who, like... Yeah, the, the person yeah. to go, hey, wait, what if stop? What if stop? <laughs> what if you don't murder this pregnant woman? What if stop? Yeah, I love it. And also, in terms of indoctrinating Abby to the player, just in also terms of, like, a game mechanic sense, that fucking second level... <laughs> Where Abby starts doing the most baller shit. The day two? The fucking Seattle day two? Oh zombie. my god. <laughs> Seattle day two is... All of Abby's Seattle day two is, is uh, flawless. I love it. I, I have um, the Amber Autumn scale of um, uh, movie quality. Um, there's three There's three levels. It's A movie is good if it contains either a fucked up racking monster with too many heads or lesbians um it's bad if it contains neither lesbians nor a fucked up racking monster with too many heads um and the last of us is uh last of us part two is the only movie i've ever seen which achieves the great movie status of containing both lesbians and a fucked up racking monster with too many heads oh last of us part two highest art highest art these two <laughs> that's the only criteria you need what else do you need um i have so many thoughts and feelings about it i really i really love the second game um and i love the way it handles queerness and i love the way it handles its tone and i love the way it uh, uses its storytelling and i love the way that abby's storyline has nothing the fuck to do with ellie and she doesn't even know that she's there until the third act i love oh, the final so fight scene i love the graphics i love the fucked up fungus monsters i love the way that like everything about them screams that they are in pain and encourages you to kill them i love the way that like ellie like increasingly over the course of her time in the game like takes advantage of the zombies to kill the humans more and more like she increasingly over the playtime weaponizes the use of the zombies thus like creating a parallel between her and the inhumanity doing the she is the walking dead thing better than the walking fucking dead ever did i love so much about this game i could talk about it forever at some point we do want to think about making a character maybe <laughs> Okay, I have I have two last points I yes, want to please. bring up, and then uh, and then I will cut off. Shit, I forgot the first one. Okay, I just want to I want to talk to you about the ending, like the literal last, like Ellie leaves the guitar behind yeah. because I've heard two not wildly divergent takes on it. They both are fundamentally this is Ellie leaving Joel behind, but one from Michael Swain from One Upsmanship, wherein his read is that this is a recognition from Ellie's purview that joel was not her father he was just some creepy asshole who gaslit her and then and then doubled down on it and then noah codwell tanner's take is that to to take joel with her is to start the process of forgiving joel and to start the process of forgiving joel is to recognize how how disappointed joel would be in the person that she's become because what joel wanted was what every parent wants which is a better version of themselves out of their kid and I just think that they can both walk away with those two different takes where one is like abandoning Joel because he sucked and one is abandoning Joel because I can't face the person I am. And I'm just kind of curious what your take on the leaving the guitar behind Yeah, is. neither of those. Those are really interesting takes and I totally disagree with both of them. Um, which like maybe is a point towards <laughs> the second game also being a little too ambiguous in its ending that it can sort of be about anything that you make it about. But um, I, so for me... Like, the ending is about Ellie 
like forgiving Joel, but really more by proxy forgiving herself, right? Her final moments, like when she chooses finally to let Abby and Lev go, when she chooses not to continue pursuing it, it's because she has a flashback of Joel um, uh, the night that she decided that she was going to try to make it up to him. She was going to try to repair that relationship, and she never got the chance to. And for me, her letting Abby go is an acceptance that that is that that, that kind of closure is not going to come from Joel. Um, it's not going to come from killing Abby. It's not going to come from um, like killing Abby and by virtue of that taking her revenge on Joel and by virtue of that like taking her revenge on like the world that took Riley away from her. Um, and so in the end she comes back to the guitar she can't play it she doesn't have the fingers she's lost like this connection with joel it's truly like oh she's lost everything in the world that tied her to him i don't think that the leaving behind of the guitar to me is about abandoning joel and the memory of him i think it's about setting off to do something new with herself it's not about leaving Joel behind. To me, it's about going to somewhere new. I like all of these takes. Art can be widely interpreted, and I remembered the other point I wanted to make, but if you guys don't know much about your Devon lore, and you better know your fucking Devon lore, but I once flirted around with the idea of doing an episode-by-episode -episode retrospective of the Punisher Netflix series. I got one episode in, and then writing the script for the second one gave me multiple panic attacks, so I stopped doing it. But... There's a part in that <laughs> there's a part in that first video where I say the line even shitty people are people and I knew immediately the footage I wanted to be over that segment of the video and it's the ending of The Last of Us 2 where <laughs> Ellie does not kill Abby because that's like the point of a game uh, is that people even when shitty are still human beings and deserving of empathy and like uh, kindness and stuff and also <laughs> the ending's so fucking Lord of the Rings because Abby sails off to the goddamn Undying Lands and Ellie goes home Frodo of the Nine God, fingers. whoa, you're fucking right. Holy shit. Do you want to make a character? <laughs> I'm at, we're, I am I definitely feel like we're going to have another one where it's just uh, the same reason we have a second Crown of Candy episode because I was like, I have more things I want to yeah, we'll, say. Yeah, we'll come back to The Last of Us surely at some point. Maybe we'll even time it so that it'll drop right when... The Last of Us Part Two season season two show it's coming out. We can we can optimize our or or whatever you know. Oh, it's gonna be like a strong Abby to play la strong lady play Abby. God, imagine whatever poor whatever poor actors they get to play Abby and Lev. They're gonna be they're gonna have a nightmare of a time. Everyone's gonna be so mad at them. Fucking recast uh, Kelly Marie Tran. <laughs> <laughs> because the internet is nice oh just really lean into it fucking hell uh there's there's a couple of directions that you go when you're making a character um as a starting point you could come up with a character that our that our our duo meets up with in their road trip in the last of us part one um or even just like a side character who gets a little dedicated chapter in um probably Abby's journey in Last of Us Part 2, you could come up with an antagonist figure of some kind, or you could, like, imagine a person 
who would exist in The Last of Us Part 3, a game that surely will someday come out and contradict everything we've said, but we'll get a few good years out of the episode before then. Yeah. The, like, post-apocalyptic fascist state also exists. Um, and a lot of the game is based around a sense of, like, Americana. So, um, like, picking probably a, a, a location... What is the Midwest? What does look the Midwest like? look That's like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can be we can be indulgent and be like, "What is Chicago in in, in this?" You know, I bet the Midwest has a much easier time because we got those long stretches of nothing. Zombies aren't sneaking up on you through the cornfields, man. Do we think that like Fedra, like won much better in the Midwest? Like Fedra is still very much holding out in places in you know Seattle or non Seattle, but um in uh. Boston, for example, uh, yeah, it could be it could be interesting to make a city where um, Fedra is like more established and very much could expand further if they wanted to spend the resources on that. You know, like civilization is maybe back in a in a in a greater way than we see in the rest of the. So I was looking at our checkoffs items, and homemade alcohol of an unspecific variety popped out to me, and we talked about how this game like allows a recapture of of beauty and you also talked about how this game is very steeped in americana and what's more american than making some fucking moonshine making some goddamn hooch and i think leaning into the part where in society is rebuilt that's one of my favorite parts of two is just going through the 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 camp and it's like oh there's like a whole fuck there's a gym here when do you see gyms in the post-apocalypse so i think our character makes a booze and is kind of kind of living a little like as large as you can live like he has the thing everyone wants in the apocalypse alcohol and they make it there is a lot of alcohol in the last of us it does come up in the franchise and i think we can assume that like moonshine happens but if i can piggyback off yours and like uh, if we can if we can take that idea one step further um maybe instead of our character making alcohol like if if society is more established our character can like be brewing like artisan i don't know anything about alcohol do you what do you, do you just name a kind of brewing artisan whiskey or whatever i don't know anything about alcohol <laughs> but like something fancy so when it comes to make yeah they're making they're not just make like who like mood like ho- hooch and moonshine is just like the most proof alcohol you can get and it doesn't really taste very good but if they're like a skilled person who knows about yeast and fermentation and how to get that whiskey taste that just tastes like smoke you're all fucking lying to me but yeah they just have a knowledge of alcohol and know how to make it. i don't think they'd be able to make tequila because that requires a very specific plant that comes from mexico and it's the post-apocalypse but they could make a fucking bourbon you just need like barrels to age that shit in so uh, my my follow-up question because so much of this game like the verbs that all of the characters have in the gameplay loop are violence and that is like saying something narratively like it's meaningful that you don't get to play as ellie until she's spent enough time around joel to adopt his game verbs and by the time you get to play as her she has spent enough time around joel that now she has the she like she has the shoot button you know she has the crouch button she has the stab button Mm. um uh things that she didn't have when you started playing so like the decision of what our characters 
verbs are. Is our character an NPC that, like, the player character interacts with? And therefore, they don't have to be doing violence, but they certainly will have to have some kind of a relationship to violence? Or is our character a Last of Us protagonist? And then, you know, what does it say about the character that they're a Last of Us protagonist? Probably nothing good. I want to go against grain for you episodes, and I want to make a Last of Us protag. In which case, I think that the, the contradiction of having a character who definitely does a lot of violence, a character who is going to go around killing a lot of people and a lot of zombies, um, but who also is like a very civilized person. Um, I want to say that our person is a little bit younger than Joel and you know, maybe more more Ellie style, grew up in the end of the world, grew up in the Chicago QZ, um, uh, or, you know, whatever, the, the Detroit QZ, the, the fucking South Bend QZ, if we want to get really <laughs> self-indulgent about it. They have some reason to leave and go on a road trip quest where they do a bunch of violence, um... And they, like, have more preparedness for it or, or more, like, maybe military um, stylings about it than Ellie or, or Joel or Abby would because they've been, like, raised in that environment. Someone from a Detroit, someone, and that's, like, a Rust Belt city, right? They're used to, like, the poverty, and if you live in poverty, there are some extent to which you're used to violence. So you're kind of already set up to exist in this new more violent world so how would that affect them do we leave them worse for wear come end of the game here's what i want from this character i want for them to go on a quest go on a, a journey um, I'm thinking maybe a rescue mission. I think that's something we haven't really done before that could be a, a good way to go um, that fits in with the, the, the formula that the games have established. And um, through the course of the quest, I think that they don't get worse. I think maybe they... I think, I think that our character loses everything over the course of the mission. We do the thing where... Um, we take everything from them. But I think in the end, our character is the protagonist who is able to do the right thing. I think that our character, um, in the process of losing everything that matters to them, manages to make the world better. Manages to save someone or some group of people or, or improve something in some way. And it's like this like long road trip towards seeing if things are too far gone and we end on no there is hope yeah our climax is petting the giraffes absolutely our climax is petting the giraffes i like that or maybe even like getting someone else to a place where they can pet the giraffes because of our character I think it's when you said, like, saves the world, makes the world a better place. I think you do the Starstruck Odyssey thing where it's like, you can't change the world. The systems are far gone. But you can save your world. You can have a positive impact on some, I don't want it to be a kid, on some 
friend you had before the fall who has sent you a letter, maybe. Maybe not Silent Hill 2. Maybe a different thing. Maybe a cousin. I, I haven't seen a lot of games tackle cousin relationships. Cousin relationships are okay. You think I'm thinking about Star Trek 3 here. The story about when the the needs of the many um or the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many or the few. Um yeah, this idea that that sometimes um it is worth it to sacri to for like a group of people to sacrifice for um a a cause that is smaller than them, but that sort of like makes it bigger than them. So what I was thinking was I want this unspecific alcohol. I'm thinking a corn whiskey because of the Midwest. But I want this alcohol to matter more than just a wellspring. I think I want it to be tied into like that final emotional climax where we learned that the spirit of Christmas is in giving and that can, if you give to enough people, you might be able to change them. And so too can they learn to give and be less selfish in this world. But I think... It is that our artisan whiskey maker has the one special bottle that they've been saving. And they don't even know what for, honestly. They're just kind of saving it as something aspirational. Because maybe one day this long good night will be over. And come a moment over the course of this story. Wherein they have reconnected with the person they are trying to save. And through that reconnection they are at a big bonfire. Because alcohol, like, has been a pretty destructive force in my immediate personal life it killed my aunt and my dad but it's also something i can have fun with and i think about camaraderie and hanging out with my friends and laughing and so there's the moment where they go and they save the cousin and the cousin's like hey these are all my friends and the character gets to realize oh this is why i did this not just because like i know my cousin but because people are worth it this is the special moment where i rub out bubba's homebrew whiskey and everyone gets to take a shot and tell a funny joke, and it's a nice moment. I think that the 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 thing you're describing is tapping into something that I think is actually. I was when you said cousin, I was a little bit hesitant at first. I was like, I don't know, is there anything that interesting about a cousin relationship? But there actually is, which is that, like uh, in my experience, I'm not really close with any of my cousins, um, and yet you're sort of like in a family unit with them, right? I'm like inexorably tied in some way with these people who um, probably do not know my current name. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think that mm. if we're having our character go after a cousin, then maybe it can be a situation where it's like, this is someone who our character hasn't spent a lot of time with recently. Our character is not close to this cousin. They're going on this big rescue mission to save someone that they don't really know because they're all that there is. And probably our character doesn't really especially know why they're doing it. And, you know, we uh, do a bunch of backstory stuff to try and, like, uh, get under this character's psychology to try to understand, you know, that why our character is doing something. And it's because they need to, like, feel like they're productive in the world in some way. And, you know, they feel like shit about themselves and they're trying to make up for it or something like that. Our character, I think, is maybe going on a, on a quest to save someone who, like they wouldn't even necessarily recognize, um, but they know that they're all that their cousin has got. Um, and so I think that that has the potential to have that like moment when they're like sitting there and, and drinking whiskey and it's nice. Um, like what if the cousin, like also by sheer fucking coincidence, like sheer act of God also makes corn whiskey or or something that pairs well with it you know 
and it gets to be like this moment of unexpected connection. Yeah. I like this. I was worried about this character, but I actually think that this is a good seed. Yeah, I think I think it's coming together. Man, we're good at this. <laughs> so I have this I have this thought where like we we did end of season 1 and there was a bell curve around C and I'm feeling like when we get to the end of season 2 there's going to be a bell curve around C around like B tier characters. So when we get to season 3 like <laughs> like will the bar have been raised <laughs> and I'm just curious when we get there vibe on a person-to-person basis and i think this character is someone who has masks and is different around different people and i think the internal monologue is the most naked and vulnerable and so the scenes because i don't imagine a traveling companion immediately for this guy but i do imagine the times when is alone is like the most not themselves, but the most vulnerable and honest, and that's when a lot of, like, internal stuff gets revealed, and when is around people is a little more reserved, is putting on a front of being uh, hardened and unapproachable, and that washes away more around, like, I don't know, a few friend characters we make up along the way. I think masks are important. To this, this, is, um, uh, this is a really good point. I'm gonna... What if instead of hardened and gruff and invulnerable our character like by trade is i don't know uh, we'll say a bartender because they're good with alcohol right they 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 run some establishment they have like this this customer service face that they're really good at they're good at slipping into um like this sort of fake charming visage um they um, have a way of talking their way out of encounters. Um, and maybe that can even, like, be part of the mechanics that we introduced into this game, is that um, our character has has some way to charm their way out of some conflicts in the way that Joel and Ellie can sneak their way out of some conflicts. You know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel or decide what all that means here. But um, our character, I think that, yeah, masking isn't always, like, being unapproachable. Our character appears friendly and delightful when they're masking and then and then like the vulnerability is seeing the cracks in that is seeing when our character um is not chipper and yeah i think that they they do encounter like people along the road trip and uh they let them into greater or lesser extents and whenever they let them in more um whenever the mask drops more the vulnerability is in is in not smiling so much Mm, you took my idea and made it better. And I would like to say, I have been picturing a nigga this whole time, and in that being like, yeah, they hit the customer service voice, I was like, yeah, 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 like in thank you, like in sorry to bother you when uh, when the nigga talks and Patton Oswalt's voice comes out and it's gone. I actually love that. Like, you know, not quite that literally, but, um... Yeah, no, 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 we're not gonna <laughs> get Patton Oswalt in the booth, but you know, yeah. you know, you know the vibe. I like that a lot. Yeah, hell yeah. Shout out to you, Deshaun, I have decided. Deshaun, wonderful. I think, like, uh, this is mostly not important. The first game was a road trip from the East Coast towards the West, and the second game um, involved um, a road trip sort of northwards. If we're starting in Detroit, I would like this game to head southwards and end in, like, Texas or Mexico, maybe. Um, I don't think that matters, but I think it's interesting, and I think it lets us go well, you know, more like Western <laughs> vibes as the game goes on. 
Yeah, you know what? I'm down with that. I agree. Sa seal of approval from <laughs> both parties. I think I do want to know what it is that's spurning Deshaun to go after his cousin. Both what's the inciting incident, but also, like, more importantly, what is the underlying psychology here? Okay, tell me if this idea leans a little too close to the Last of Us protagonist we already have. What if it is, because my immediate, because, like, when you were like, I am not close to cousins, I was like, oh, can't relate. And then we made this guy a nigga, and I wanted to bring up the fact of, like, every black person has someone who is their cousin, but they're not related. Um, and do that thing, but that needs a bond, right? When, I, when like, oh, that's my cousin, but he's not related to me. That's because, like, we know each other and we're very familiar. What if it is this person is their literal cousin, whom they do not have an attachment to, but their cousin, who is not blood-related, but is their cousin, like, died, and they weren't able to save them, and now they are trying to rewrite that wrong by saving their Shit. literal cousin, who they don't actually Shit, know. Shit, that's so good. And then, yeah, you come to, like, like, our character sets out, and they don't even, like, they, like, he may not make the connection um, that it's because of this other death that he had at some point in his, in his backstory, recent or not. Um, but we as the audience very much do make the connection. Yeah, he's masked to himself. Art. <laughs> you know, possibly he comes to terms with that at some point over the course of the runtime, but um, not at first. Yeah, it's like a fucking 20-hour game. He's got a time to figure shit out. Like, Deshaun is, is capable of killing a bunch of zombies and raiders and whoever it is that we end up making the bad guys. We don't need to figure that out. But I am curious about um, where he developed that skill set. He knows how to kill people. How do he, Why does he know how to kill people? Is he military? Like, mm. is he federal military? Has, has he just, like killed people outside of because i mean society exists there so was it like out of bounds of the of the city was it like a police thing was it a crime thing was it there's definitely a part of me that wants to say like ah he was a corner boy mostly because i've been watching the wire and uh because when when black people in video games they have to like do gang so white people can live out fantasy of be black like grand theft auto san andreas <laughs> But I, I think, I think there's a reality to growing up black in Detroit, wherein violence was already a part of this person's life. I think it is a skill set they came with that they that was necessary for day to day living before the fall, and has only increased so post fall. I think that was something they knew how to do before the apocalypse happened is my point and we don't need to hammer out was black man in or not in gang <laughs> sure that that so that makes this character a little bit older than we knew before which i'm totally fine with um uh and we 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 get the sense that he used to know how to do some violence good and maybe he hasn't in a while but he's like you know shaking off the cobwebs as we go through the game yeah, it's like riding a bicycle. You remember how throw punch eventually. Like Cuddy from season three, four, and five of The Wire. I think we're at... Cue the sound effect in post, baby! What the f***? In Yowie Art, the semi, or top, is usually dominating the UK, or bottom. It was fun! The relationship is cute, damn it! I ship that! And hello everyone, welcome.
welcome to I Ship at the segment of the show where I'm going to talk about a character's sexual identity, sexual awakening, how they do or do not fuck, and also who we think the fandom at large would ship them with, or if there's anyone we ship them with. Because who doesn't love it when OCs make big smooches? Seven in Yaoi, what is the semi or top? <laughs> <laughs> they often dominate the UK or bottom. <laughs> I fucking hate that sound bite. <laughs> I'm so happy. Just, I'm so happy that you hate it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it, that. Thank you. It just it just filled me with so much joy when I was like, Amber, what do you think of it? And you went, I fucking hate it. You made it South Park. And I was like, oh, now this season truly is. I relate everything to South Park because of a because of a stinger I made way before we started recording this season. So, like, my initial reaction is, like, well, there's not a lot of room for romance in the post-apocalypse, but that's, like, a defining feature of, like, you talked about what gets, what, what we get to take into the post-apocalypse, and love and relationships are part of that. So, like, this guy do need to be doing a sucky fucky. <laughs> I wanted to say romance, but sucky fucky came out. I'm sorry. <laughs> what if, like, what if the dude just has a wife at home who he loves? And it's uncomplicated. And it. It's just, like, uncomplicated? Oh, God. That's sweet. That's sweet in a way that I don't know rings true. But kind of for ours, the point is that a little sweetness is going to ring true. So fuck it. Hell yeah. Deshaun's just got a wife at home. Sometimes people are allowed to be happy, and it gives him something to come back to, you know? Yeah. And we get to threaten it, and we get to, like, do the thing, like, right towards the end where it looks like it's not going to happen. And it looks like we're going to do the, oh, you looked at the picture of your wife one last time, and that means you're going to die thing. And then we get to negate that and say, no, fuck you. Not everything is as grim, dark as all that. Um, Deshaun gets to live, and he gets to come home. You played Silent Hill 2 fucking 30 years ago, man. Games can do other things. Hell yeah, dog. Since this is like kind of our own standalone Last of Us, is there anyone who you think the fandom would be like, hmm, I bet Deshaun would get along great with Joel's brother, who is a shitlord, piss-heeled, coward, little shit-stained fuck-knuckle. Man, fuck, I fucking hate that. I hate that guy so fucking much, dude. Yeah, that name shortens to Tommy, by the way. Fuck you, Tommy, you piece of shit. You've got the name of the coolest Power Ranger, and you're a big, giant, quivering pussy. Fuck you. I'm happy your wife left you. You're a sad, miserable little man. What's it feel like to be the worst version of Joel? A sad, miserable little man. There are like an enormous number of characters who are eligible and Deshaun's age. Like it's what? Like Joel, Tess, Tommy, Maria, Marlene, fucking Isaac, Abby's dad. He was making a big speech with Abby's dad. That's my OTP. It's like inexplicable art of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are my favorite. Like fucking Robo, K-Dash, and Venom from Guilty Gear. No one's been able to sit down and explain why, but people draw it. Absolutely, yeah. Hell yeah, and that's I ship it. Oh, god it. damn it. 
Oh, one fun fact of goddamn peace. <laughs> so if there's one conversation I have loved having uh, with black friends who have been in and out of the uh, correctional system is the realities of uh, prison cuisine. Just infinite, just infinite bits of joy talking about making slams and how that shit don't taste good when you come home. I think this fella, like the start of his hooch making, was making some fine toilet wine. And then I got out of the clink and said, this toilet wine tastes like shit. What if I bought a book to learn how to do it? And that's where, <laughs> and that's where their whiskey comes from. They're like, what if I did toilet wine, but good now that i taste freedom again and and they get to like have that book with them and reference it sometimes yeah they bring up uh i can't remember but that fucking famous cocktail book that if any of your friends are into like mixology and shit they bring it up because he like revamped all of the what was the all of the prohibition era cocktails for like a modern palate with like real sugar i don't shit. know yeah he's got one of the i think it's dave arnold's no that's like a yeah, someone. Yeah, someone's yelling at me right now. Fuck it. He cares about mixology. He's a bartender, right? He's behind the counter all day. He's just vain enough to care about how he looks, and so I think that Deshaun works out, but he skips leg day like every fucking day because the part of him that's above the counter is the part that's like visible. You know what I mean? And so uh, he's like w way more fit above waist than he is below waist and you see it reflected in the combat sections and the stealth sections like like if he goes to like climb something then like the he like uses all upper body stuff and doesn't push from his legs at all um and it, it like it never draws attention to itself but if you pay attention to it you can see it uh people hack it and they find the model and they just see the fucking gross ass chicken legs <laughs> and it's funny Oh man, that's a, I feel I feel good about this one. I knew the opening was gonna be good. I was a little worried, and then we 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 landed. Shout out to you, Deshaun Little, Deshaun. who in my brain is played by the guy who played Bodie from sure. The Wire, because he's a good actor who doesn't get enough work. He'll get a few extra points when we rank him. But speaking of extra points. Uh, you get no extra points for correctly guessing what we're talking about next week because you always have the bonus hint of knowing that we're not going to be talking about Gem and the Holograms. So what are we actually talking about next um, week? Well, it's your episode, so normally you would announce it, but I happen to know that we are doing a revisit of our How We Do the Creeper. We're going to reapproach that one. Oh, hooray, and hopefully we do a good job. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, my name has been Amber Autumn, she, her... Prince Our music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at hollowrib.bandcamp.com. Um, uh, please feel free to uh, give us a like, drop five stars or whatever, leave a comment, and head over to our merch store. We actually have two new items here this week. Um, where our merch store, we will be selling both um, a fucked up Rat King monster with too many heads and lesbians. <laughs> oh, I love monsters. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.